So I, I can see why um, operationally minded association executives, uh, the CFOs, you know, some of the decision makers in the food chain would undervalue the, the humanity, the human connection within membership and within engagement. You have to push for it. You have to push for it because it's really the connective tissue that leads to transactions, that leads to registration and renewal and buying that, that book or signing up for that, that credential program. It's, it's the in-between that, that gets you to those yeses and you can't invest in it enough. So it's a hard investment to measure and it's a hard return to evaluate. Hi everyone. Welcome to the Gripe Podcast. In this podcast, you learn how to grow member-based organizations. I'm your host, Farhad Khan. I am the CEO of Gripe Digital. We build membership websites for professional associations. Our app Member Lounge is one of the quickest ways to build an engaging membership community for your membership. With Member Lounge, you can take your member marketing on autopilot so that member engagement just happens without you having to work hard for it. You can see a free demo of Member Lounge on our website at memberlounge.app. That is member lounge, all one word, dot app. This is a live recording of our podcast. If you're joining us live today, welcome. We got some great questions from the audience already, but if you have any more questions during the episode, please submit them on chat. Today, we are excited to have Elisa Pratt with us. Elisa is the CEO of Brewer Pratt Solutions. She is a thought leader in the association world, and she has been an association management executive for over 20 years. Elisa, thank you so much for joining us. Can you start by telling us a bit more about yourself and your work? Absolutely. No, thank you so much for having me. Um, I've, I've only been a consultant for about six, six or seven years. And uh, I, I think of myself more of a staff person, more as a, an association executive, having spent so long on that side of, of the table. And, uh, and you know, I, I want to be the consultant that I wish I had had. So these are the type of conversations that I, I gravitate towards and I, I love to, to contribute to and facilitate because they're, they're never ending. We should never stop having these conversations. And Brewer Pratt Solutions, we focus on strategy and leadership and, and membership. That's really the three-legged stool of, of any membership association. And uh, it's what we're committed to. So thank you for making time for, uh, for this conversation and elevating the topic. In our discussions earlier, uh, uh, you actually mentioned like how the humanity of member engagement is so important, right? So we are often like not thinking about that aspect of membership. Can you tell us more about that? You know, I, I don't know if it, it's really COVID that brought this to into focus for me, but we we've stopped seeing members as people. Yeah, you know, they they are transactions, or they're dues, or they're a headcount, or they're uh, you know a vote. And, uh, and, you know, ever since COVID, as we've all been driven back into our homes or have smaller you know, work environments, whatever it may be, I just think the, the humanity of this is, is so much more important. And with technology, you know, booming and AI and, you know, virtual reality and all of these things, it feels as if associations and nonprofits have the unique opportunity to be the convener of people whether it's in person or on online communities, but a sincere convener. 
And, uh, and so, you know, this is my office. This is my entire team. You know, I don't leave this room. And so I'm, I'm hungry for interactions like this and, and webinars and, you know, listservs and chat groups and, and in-person conferences and conventions, whatever it may be, we are more alone than ever before and more siloed than ever before. And yet hungry for that, that human connection. So I hope associations and, and nonprofits can take advantage of this unique window that we're in as a culture, as a, as a, as a planet, um, to be the home for human connection in your space, in your profession, in your, in your, your area of specialty, because that, that'll never go away. People's need for each other will, will never go away. And, uh, and as we, as we lose a little bit of that, um, I think it's it's uh, it's an opportunity to 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 increase relevance, to increase um, what makes associations necessary. And I guess like over the last couple of years, we were looking at the um, membership trends report or like, the surveys and everything that is happening. And what we have been finding is that like year over year, I think like the last three years, the top reason why members join associations is for the community to kind of like have like that hive mind to connect with each other, to have like like-minded peers, you know, now like, um, like even though members are hungry for that connection, that community, right? like, like what is going wrong with associations or like, what are we not doing enough? You know, like to actually build the connection. You know, it, when a member or a member segment or a prospect segment tells you they want community, it's it's it sounds easy, right? It, it, yeah. Connection is a qualitative, uh, uh, intangible thing. While we deliver it through tactics and platforms, um, it, it's intangible, and how someone receives it and how they feel about it, how how sincere it feels is very, is impossible to quantify over a large audience. Um, and, and what it requires is, is one by one conversation by conversation, member by member interaction. And, you know, that's, that's really hard to scale. That's really hard to automate uh, in a sincere way. So, you know, platforms like yours and solutions that you, you guys are, are the, the best in the business for are, are ones that I think help in this, in this area, but it, it's got to come down to listening. It's got to come down to being responsive and, uh, and adapting to those changing needs. You're never going to be everything to all your members all at the same mm. time. That is the quickest path to, to failure and to spreading yourselves too thin. Stop trying to be everything to everyone all at the same time. And, uh, you know, one thing that was hard to accept, but also very freeing and liberating as a staff person was recognizing that as an association, sometimes the greatest value you can deliver to the membership is their ability to connect with each other. It's not you. The association is just the environment. The association is just the convener. And sometimes you have to get out of the way and let them do that. Give them the opportunities, give them the, the, the strategies, the platforms, the, the teasers, the, the conversation starters around that, and then get the heck out of the way. Um, you know, it, it's not about us as the, you know, the marketing director or the membership director or the CEO or whatever it may be, it's not about us. 
It's about the members and what they need and what they can get from each other. Um, I find this especially to be true in professional societies and trade associations. They're coming to learn from each other. We are just repackaging and <clears throat> disseminating those best practices, those that expertise um, and trying to, to spread it more broadly, but they really want to interact with each other. So that, that hunger for humanity and, and engagement uh, between the membership is something we have to protect the sanctity of and the purity of by not getting in the way of it, not trying to turn it into a product. Just let them, let them engage with each other. Let, let the natural ecosystem of your members' knowledge and curiosity and expertise, let it, let it, you know, generate, let it grow, let it spawn. So we've been talking to a lot of associations about building an online community for them, like people who don't have a community right now. And like we we keep echoing this, that members want that connection. And then like the surveys and research, all everything that we have done leads us to that one answer that the top reason why members join association is for the community. Then we hear like the association executives or like their staff, like team member, what they tell us often is that uh, it will be a lot of challenge to maintain a, maintain a community. We don't have the staff, we don't have the resources. It will be a lot of moderation for the like to do in the community mm -hmm. so what advice would you have for them people who are fearful of this like extra work you know there i see both sides of it i, I it's i'm i'm staff minded but member focused and so there is a there is two sides to this um i would say on the staff side um manage expectations and and take small incremental steps just because you build it doesn't mean they will come it does require um, a, a, a PR campaign, a launch strategy. Um, you do have to cultivate and, and feed it. <laughs> it uh -huh. You have to water it and feed it and, and take care of it um, as a living organism and, uh, and drive the members to it. Put exclusive content there, um, but also control expectations. An online community is not an outcome in itself. Yeah, it's it's not a check the box. Great. We did it. Um, you know, when, as I do strategic planning with a lot of organizations, they they want to just check the box. Look, we did it. And they're not thinking about the why they're not thinking about the larger strategic goal that was that is probably hard to quantify. Um, but the, the bigger picture. OK, we wanted to increase engagement. We wanted to amplify our voice. We wanted to convene. Um, and, and that's what online communities are intended to do. So I would say, listen, ask more questions mm. of your, your audience, not just what they want, and then be satisfied when they tell you an online community. Keep asking more questions. Um, take baby steps into it and, and be successful incrementally before you, you go too broad. Maybe you open an online community just for one division or one council or one member type um, instead of to the full membership. Do automate wherever you can so that that your uh, the burden of moderation is uh, is uh, manageable, and and engage the membership. You know there can be member leaders, volunteer leaders, committee chairs um, who can serve in those roles and would take great pride in doing so. Um, a member driven and a member managed community can add credibility, and and help offset some of the staffing burdens in that sense. Um, on the membership side, uh, you know, members see, hear buzzwords too. And, and they want communities, they want, you know, chats, they want, you know, 
hybrid sessions. They, they think they want all this stuff, hmm. um, which is why you, you need to ask more questions. And, uh, and I would encourage organizations to pilot. You don't have to put something out there forever and launch one big thing. Pilot, sample, experiment. Uh, you know, the organizations that are, um, are the most successful are those who are the first to fail. And, uh, and I would encourage you to take small bites at online communities so that you can do it right and you can learn from different iterations um, and, and improve along the way. Don't overinvest in one big thing. And then if it doesn't work, throw your hands up and give up forever. Take small bites and, and experiment after you've really asked your, your audiences the right questions. Right. And I guess like uh, another uh, tendency that we see is that there are a lot of discussions happening about communities or like member engagement and everything else in, a, in the association world, but there is a significant lack of like taking action. Right. So like like you just said, like um, sometimes you don't need to like take like one big step, but like break it down into like smaller chunks so you can experiment and see what's working out. So uh, like like how, how would you how would you encourage people to take action on things that they need to do? Sure. Now, when I uh, when I work with organizations through change management or strategic planning, there's always that implementation piece. Again, the plans themselves um, and even the products themselves are not the outcome. What's the why? What are we truly trying to, to change? What are we truly trying to deliver um, is, is a question that as staff, it's easy to get into the weeds. It's, get, it's easy to get very micro and to lose that bigger picture uh, of the why, of why we're doing this. Um, so I would, I would continue to, to have those why conversations, build your plans around why and, and set realistic metrics. Um, you know, I mean, you tell me, you guys are the experts. I don't even know how long it takes to, to build and, and, and launch an online community. Give yourself time, set realistic expectations with your membership, with your board, so that you can do these things um, correctly. And, uh, you know, do, do the pilots, do the, the trial period um, and, and see how things go. Um, because the actions you're going to mess up. There's going to be mistakes. And I, I think COVID, that COVID era gave us something to blame. It gave us a, a chance to make mm -hmm. mistakes because we were thrust into um, a world of, of innovation that we weren't ready for. Our hands were forced uh, into making changes and, and adopting things that we, we had to fast track or we had to take on that we weren't really ready for to, um, to survive during COVID, to be agile, to to uh, to evolve in that crazy that crazy environment, and we seem to get okay with oh we messed up it was COVID's fault that didn't work it was COVID's fault find your new COVID what's your new what's your new thing that you can you can blame um, when things when things don't work um, because you're gonna you know not everything's gonna work even those things that you you partner with high quality third party you know vendors and and service providers it's not always gonna be perfect. So control expectations, tie your efforts back to your why, back to your strategic plan, back to your mission, um, so that, that you don't get lost in the, in the minutia, in the detail of it all. Stay at that why level when you're, when you're sharing with your members the opportunities, the outcomes, and, and what you're, what you're going to change along the way, what you've learned, and, and how things are going to um, improve over time.
Yeah, I, I like the point of like connecting everything back to the why. Why are you doing something, right? There has to be a reason behind it, right? So what we tell our clients is that like if you're taking on any project or any initiative, like there has to be a big return on investment unless unless you can clearly define the return, you know, like like what is the return? What will you do with the data? Don't even take it on. We have to clearly define the outcome and define like the why and, and then start the project. And oftentimes what we tell people is that like if you're like investing in in our technology or anything, say $10,000, right? you have to like as a bare minimum like break even like get that ten thousand dollar return in the investment and beyond and like we as a technology company if we can get you that we don't work with you in general right so and we try to define that return so uh so so i i i love the fact that you're saying that as well well you know that's why i think some people lean away from the human engagement mm. because it's not easy to quantify it's not likes and shares and comments and uh, you know, in the end, what it all boils down to is retention and recruitment. Um, you know, that's that's a number. Those are measures that will never change. But sentiment and loyalty and interest, you know, those are hard things to measure. And they're not always, well, they're very rarely measured in dollars. So I, I can see why um, operationally minded association executives uh, the CFOs, you know, some of the decision makers in the food chain would undervalue the the humanity, the human connection within mm. membership and within engagement. You have to push for it. You have to push for it because it's really the connective tissue that leads to trans transactions, that leads to registration and renewal and buying that that book or signing up for that that credential program. It's, it's the in-between that, that gets you to those yeses and you can't invest in it enough. So it, it's a hard investment to measure and it's a hard return to evaluate. Um, so find other metrics that, that show that, that water rising, that, that engagement. Um, people have different engagement scores, um, different systems provide engagement scoring. Um, you know, in the end, it's, it all boils down to recruitment and retention. So don't, don't chase too many numbers. Hmm. That, that's your true weather vein uh, as to what you're, whether what you're doing is, um, is, is working. Um, but you also have to, to track the right audiences. You could have 100% retention in an aging membership population. And just naturally, that's going to lead to decline. Just, you know, without your ever, even if they're all happy and they all want to renew, you know, for the rest of their careers or the rest of their, their lives, that naturally will, will decline. So um, finding new ways to engage and communicate with your future membership is, is another element of, of, uh, of the humanity piece, the, the sincere engagement that, that is necessary. Um, and, and people are all caught up in these, these generational terms and stereotypes. Yeah. I think that's the quickest way to turn off your future membership is to presume you know them because when they were born, uh, I am, I'm not a fan of the generational stereotypes um, or, or the presumption of values or communication styles that, that are presumed because of that. Um, I know when, you know, we won't say when I was born, but um, I know I fall in between 
two, two generations. And so I'm kind of lost. I'm kind of uh, not really seen in a lot of those, um, through a lot of those filters and a lot of those systems, uh, systems of thinking. And uh, I just hate seeing associations put your members, put members in a box or, or prospective members in a box. Uh, for me, what it really comes down to is your membership life cycle. You know, where are you in your life, your career, and, uh, and, and how does that translate? into your expert of the association. You know, you may not be 22 and just coming out of school. You may be, you know, second career and coming to this association in your 40s or 50s um, because you, you've changed careers and now you need this professional society. You may be retired and this is, this is um, an area of focus you, you had in school. You know, wh- whatever it is, everyone's story is different. And I think that's what technology has allowed us to appreciate, Um, you know, through Instagram, through TikTok, through whatever it is, we're all so desperate to tell our stories and to be unique. And I I hope associations can appreciate that and and help, help members find their home, find a place within their, within their association, within their communities because that's what, you know, that's what matters. And uh, I think that's what um, a member would value as their return on investment, almost more so than dollars and cents. Sure, your member discount may save them, you know, $100 on the registration fee or $50 on the magazine subscription. But that mentorship or that person that they met or that question that they were asked that helped them, you know, choose a different path. Um, you know, those are the real connections that can't be measured. Um, it really comes down to, to telling stories and bringing that human narrative to, um, to your organization, your why. If you can't tell your why in individual human stories, then I would ask you to, to, to tease out and work your why a little harder. Um, numbers don't always tell the story. I want to uh, I want to hear how you change someone's life. I want you to give me goosebumps, you know, as to why someone joined and how their life was made better. Uh, I do a lot of work in uh, in workforce development and trying to introduce next generations um, and uh, and and future uh, specialists in whether it be construction or real estate or science to um, to appreciate those career paths. And we have to tell the stories of success in those career paths. Otherwise, people are just working through stereotypes. They're working through lowest common denominator filters of what they were, they've been raised to understand or what they've been told, whether it's accurate or not. Um, and I, I just, I wish people would, would value the story. You know, instead of the infographic, tell me someone's story. Uh, it doesn't have to be long. It could be a video. It could be a quote. It could be, you know, just that personal narrative that helps me understand the why of this organization. Mission statements. No one goes there. No one goes to that place yeah. on your website. Uh, you know, the mission, the vision, the about us. No one goes to that place on your website. But on your homepage, if you have a person telling a story, if you have a quote, if you have faces 
that's what, that's what brings people together. That that's the emotional intelligence that we all naturally gravitate to as, as humans, we are pack animals, right? We need to be with others. Um, and, uh, and I think it's, um, it's something that is easy to forget because it's not always easy and it's not always quantifiable. Right. And is there an opportunity to also include member stories in this mix? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, aside from the workforce and kind of professional branding, I think your, your best way to, to reach different audiences and maybe even segments of your profession or your industry that you don't have as members yet is to tell the story of members. That's a much more compelling way to show the difference between life with membership and life without membership is to tell the story of how membership has, has improved their lives, what it's brought to them, who they've met, how, how their career or, or their community has changed or improved. Um, you know, it's, it's really the, the seeds of a member, get a member campaign. And I'm not a huge fan of those in, in direct terms because members never want to be burdened with the pitch or, or the sales piece of it. But if you just get a testimonial, if you just get a, I am this association, it is me. I am it. This is membership. I am membership. And here's how my life looks. Here's how I'm better for it. Here's what I give back. That to me is, is much more motivating than a discounts calculator or, or something that, you know, you punch in and put, put numbers in for trade associations may be different. I mean, we're talking about much different dues dollars, um, much different types of decision makers, but uh, in a membership association, in a professional society, you know, your strength is your people, your, your humanity is your superpower. And, uh, and you can't, you can't just, you can't not take advantage of it, or people will go where they feel like they belong. People will go to where they feel they're wanted. People will go to where they feel they will be appreciated and can give back. Right. So you mentioned earlier that uh, we shouldn't try to be everything for everyone, right? So we should really like focus on what we do best. And we actually have a model. We call it like find your superpower. And we truly oh, okay. believe we, and we truly believe in that. We want all associations to kind of like go through exercise and like find the superpower, you know, what you're best at. And then like uh, focus in the superpower like region and like not do too many things that mm-hmm. people like can't really like use that well. Now, like while we are doing that, like uh, it's a reality that like our membership is multicultural. It is multigenerational and members have different personality types overall. So how do you cater to like this diverse audience overall? Well, I think first you have to ask the right questions and listen and Mm. not be afraid to let the members tell you, (laughs) you know, when they, when they tell you what, uh, what they want, when they tell you their biggest fear or their greatest challenge, you know, you have to really listen. Don't try to put it in two or three buckets. Um, empower them to tell their own stories, which will help them resonate with communities and segments that look like them, that are in the same place as them. You don't have to be the messenger. It's, it's, you know, again, it's not about you. It's not about the association. It's not about the executive director. It's not about the board chair. Step away and let the messengers, let the members be the messengers and, and tell those stories. That will be more sincere. That will be more compelling to those audiences, members or prospects who look like them and are in those similar places. Um, but you also need to adapt your messaging 
Uh, I'm sure some of your messaging, if not your mission and vision, were probably are you know five, 10, 20 years old. Um, and I would encourage you to evaluate your language that you're using, um, not just for for inclusivity, but for um, for modernization. Yeah, you know, I work with uh, I do work with a lot of trade groups, and uh, you know they they have those those portraits, the black and white portraits of all the the old dead white guys that <laughs> were presidents back in you know 1960s, yeah, yeah. 1970s. And, uh, you know, you're, you really need to be aware of the, the image that you're projecting, not that those aren't your members, maybe not that those aren't the people who, who revolutionized your industry, but who are you trying to be moving forward? That's the greatest challenge that I find associations and, and membership nonprofits struggling with is the balance between history and legacy and future and foresight. You want to keep your members who have risen to the board or put in decades and decades of contribution, your, your worker bees and your leaders, you have to listen and you want to say yes, but you know their needs and their way of thinking is different than the people who will be in those seats in 2040, you know, just 15 years from now, just 16 years from now. Um, and uh, and that's, that's a reality you have to, you're going to have to reconcile. Um, and that, you know, that, that tilt, that balancing act is one that you're going to have to uh, manage and try to share with the, the legacy and existing leadership, their ability to contribute to the next leaders, not because who they were, mm-hmm. but because of their support for who the next leaders will be and for their, their commitment to the why, you know, the why should never change. The why can be everyone's North Star irrespective of, of where you come from, how old you are, um, you know, race, gender, socioeconomics, hopefully the why is a unifier and, uh, and not something owned by any one segment or demographic within your, within your membership. So that balancing act is a tough one. Um, and that can often stretch organizations very thin is history and future and trying to say yes to both sides at the same time. Um, you will drain your resources, you will spread your staff thin, and you will confuse and muddy your strategic direction. And you'll really end up losing credibility as an organization because you're saying yes to too many people in, in divergent directions at, uh, at the same time. And I guess the trick here is to find out like what are the initiatives you have right now that are not kind of like connecting with your audience and that are not like giving you enough like return overall, you know, and Uh then like, you know, and and then I think save the time from there and invest the effort in high impact initiatives, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm I'm a huge proponent of of what I call strategic abandonment. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, sometimes you need some data. Sometimes it's a gut instinct. Sometimes, you know, it's a pet project. Um, and, and what's the cliche, um, you know, sacred cows make the best hamburger. You know, you, you can't let these things that have been around forever that an ex-president from, you know, 20 years ago asked for and just never, never went away, whether it's an awards program or a newsletter or a, a committee, you know, these things have to be measured against, to your point, a return on investment and to, uh, an understanding of what they're taking to maintain. Uh, I, I, I love strategic abandonment. I want for everything we have an idea to do, we have to get rid of something. This is a zero sum game. 
we we can't do everything all at once at at a hundred percent, and you set up set yourselves up to fail. Um, I think during COVID, a lot of organizations were afraid of what they were having to say no to, having to say no to in person events and and other things because of the pandemic, and so they started adding all these things. Um, we're going to add this virtual thing. We're going to add this webinar. We're going to add this. We're going to add that, um, and online communities became one of those things often added over the last few years. And now that we've returned, hopefully in most cases to in-person, we find associations with, um, with an overgrown garden. You had everything you had before you had everything you added and planted in the last few years, and now you are overgrown and it's unmanageable. Uh, so I think uh, strategic abandonment, um, you can also use kind of a lean facilitation mindset. Um, I've done that for a couple organizations where you, you determine member value, you, you assess resource allocations, and you see what's not adding to that member value. And you, you, you're willing to say no, you're willing to say enough. You sunset, you abandon, you discontinue, you close, whatever the word you need to use. Um, it's, it's best and most helpful if you have a, a strategic plan to blame on that in case anyone gets mad, yeah. um, or you have a consultant come in who says, Hey, this is not serving you. This is costing you, or this is not, um, going to help you achieve your, your mission or your vision. Um, sometimes you need a bad guy to deliver the news, uh, or to encourage the, uh, the discontinuation of that pet project or that, that long, longstanding, um, resource heavy project. Um, but you're absolutely right. I think it's as important to say no to things as it is to say yes. Um, and, and what people use to determine the yeses is often the wrong thing. You know, it's, it's the money, it's the attendance, it's the, the board satisfaction instead of that human connection, instead of that membership piece, instead of the service to this community that you say you want to build. Um, I can't, I can't stress enough the, the building of community, um, through a, whatever platform you choose or whatever mechanisms it in itself is not the outcome. What comes of that, you know, what, what you see in terms of sincere engagement increases in your, your members participation, the, the strength and the health of their engagement. The you know renewal and retention those numbers are always going to be my go-to needle that I want to see move in the right direction, um, but it, it takes a, it takes a, a leadership team to be honest about how we're measuring success. What does success look like, and what are the metrics of success that we're we're truly measuring? And when you start to see what those are, then you see how your decisions have been made historically. Um, and I encourage you to make your your measures of success a little more human to um, to ensure that that mission driven and and member focused um, outcome. Yeah, so renewal and, and retention are like great numbers to focus on for sure. Like now, uh, a challenge that we often face with that is that like the renewal and retention, they come one year later, you know, and then like until the year is over, you often like don't know what's <clears throat> going to happen, right? So like, do you have any advice on like how people can kind of like know the member sentiment overall and like how it's going during the year? Sure, sure. I mean, there's there's uh, drip campaigns, there's invitations, yeah. there are opportunities leading up to membership. I like to think about it as, you know, I'm a sports person. I like to think in a sports analogy, um, you know, you're recruiting, you're recruiting your next, yeah. your next starter. 
And recruitment starts with a visit, a handshake, a conversation. Then you invite them to do some stuff, to get involved, to see how they are, to understand more of what they like and what they need. Then you bring them into the farm team. You know, you you bring them into something lower level, lower commitment, um, more broad-based. Maybe it's writing an article. Maybe it's uh, an advisory committee that's not member only. Maybe it's attending a a webinar or a conference at a, a higher registration level. There have to be more points of entry than just membership, yes or no. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I would encourage you to take your recruits, find the right entry point for them during their lead up. And then when you're ready to bring them up to the major leagues, i.e. sign them up for membership, they already know. They already know the game. They already know the rules. They already know the value. And, um, you know, one of the other challenges is how often members are forgotten after the, after the join, after they say yes. Yes. Um, you know, I, I also find a lot of organizations investing heavily in their young professionals or their early career or their students. And then as that, as that audience kind of graduates out or ages out of that intense engagement audience, they're forgotten about until they, they become, you know, leadership potential. So I ask you, what's going to be the connective tissue between your entry points? You have to think in terms of the full member journey. And, uh, you know, I, I encourage groups, if you're not sure what humanity in your engagement uh, looks like, if you're not sure what your, your, uh, your membership, your sincere human membership strategies are, um, I would encourage you to map your member journey. It's something we do um, for organizations of all sizes, and it helps clarify and take away the assumption. You know, let's truly map those entry points and what a member at this level or a prospect, what their journey to membership looks like, whether it's through our website, whether it's through a phone call, whether it's through an email, you know, let's, let's map what these journeys look like so that we know where we can improve. We know what to take away because it's not working and we can make sure that there is humanity woven into that. And it's not just about clicks and views and, uh, and open rates. Because that's that's not human. That's that's a tool. That's a channel. Um, but uh, you know, what's what's the larger why? What are we truly trying to achieve for our members and with our members? I'll take one audience question at this point. So oh, yeah. Amber Warner is asking. I would love to see some examples of associations or societies that share member stories. Do you have any examples? Ooh. Well, I will share a few links um, after after the webinar. Um, but uh, I uh, <clears throat> storytelling in leadership, you know, you just Google that. You can find yeah. a, a ton of examples. I do like to use the for-profit examples um, to then inspire association anecdotes and testimonials. I did have um, a, a client in the nonprofit uh, in a trade association space who um, created the I Am campaign. You know, I am this association. They use their acronym. Um, and they just had members make little Instagram videos and then they built a reel. It doesn't have to be highly produced. That's the best thing about modern social media driven culture is that this can be a DIY thing. This can be someone making their own meme. This can be someone making their own little video um, and, and then sharing it. I love the, the peer-to-peer driven story campaign. Um, 
And, uh, and I, you know, there's, I think the realtors have a, a campaign, you know, I am a realtor and how they, they make that a personal brand of, of being a, a licensed member of, of their profession. And um, I'll have to think of some others, but uh, you know, you can, you can Google it. Uh, and, and in the nonprofit space, you know, it, we all know these stories. We get the phone calls, we get the emails, we get the thank yous. The members are the best part of our job. And if we just ask them the right question and then create a, uh, a mechanism, a channel for sharing it, I think you'll be pretty impressed with how, um, how those, those personal stories can, can make a difference. Don't be afraid to tell the hard stories either. It can't always be that, oh, look, I, I now make all this money or I got my license or I graduated and now I'm in this profession. Um, I, I tell, the, tell the comfortable stories. Tell the, tell the difficult stories, tell the, you know, I, I never got a chance until I came to this association mm. or I've been alone um, until, until I joined this, this, you know, young contractors group or young professionals group. Um, you know, it's, it's okay for, um, for people who aren't happy and satisfied and living, you know, their sunshiny best life to, to tell their stories. Um, that, that's what people will, will really gravitate towards and what will resonate. And just to add to that, like some very quick examples, I think like uh, one of our clients, the Writers Union of Canada, if you go to their website, if you just search for it. So we had to like give them a way to share client stories in an extremely simple way because they're very, very busy. Yeah. So we just like had them like collect like written testimonials, like a two sentence, three sentence short written testimonials with a headshot and they rotate on their homepage. Anyone coming Absolutely. to their website, you know, like uh, they, ro they rotate. So that way, like the members see their being highlighted on the association's website. This is a matter of pride for them. And it's also like sharing people's stories overall. Yeah. Now, I love the, you know, Amber uh, mentioned she loved the, the I am idea. The other thing is, you know, my blank, you know, my AARP or my, mm. you know, whatever your organization is, if you want it or our, you know, just consider the, the language that makes it inclusive, that makes it theirs. Um, you know, these organizations are, are the members. It's, it's not about us. We're just giving them a platform. We're amplifying their needs and their, their experiences for, for the betterment of that community. Um, so whatever, you know, Canva's a huge, easy tool. I know I take all my testimonials yeah. and I break them into little canvas and I, I put it out um, into, into the social media universe um, to try to tell the stories of, of my clients. And, uh, you know, so this doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to hire an ad agency. You don't have to hire a PR firm. Help your members tell their own stories whenever possible. And, and then take the anecdotes and the testimonials and, and put them out. Put them out wherever you can. Homepage, your Twitter account, um, you know, the bottom of a, of a renewal email. Um, you know, I used to try to put at my tagline on my email signature. I always put a, a very short testimonial. And uh, just wow. as a subtle little sprinkle, because you don't want it to be salesy. You don't want it to be an advertisement. You want it to be naturally woven into your, your, your standard messaging, right? You want it to be a part of everything so that it's not off-putting, but um, tell the stories, make your engagements human, try to measure member value and member experience in human terms as, as, as intangible as that is, 
the narratives and the, the testimonials will be one of those things you can then start to quantify. All right. So Randy has a follow-up question here. So Randy is asking, what would be an example of a signature tagline? Oh, sure, sure. Well, again, this is in consultant terms, but one of my favorite testimonials I ever had was a, a client who, in a longer paragraph, they said, so like, Elisa, you came right in and won the respect of the board of directors, blah, 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 blah. So I, I just cut, you know, Elisa immediately came in and won respect of the board of directors. Quotes, you know, CEO, uh -huh. you know, professional society. And, you know, it was just at the end of my signature line. I changed it, you know, every quarter. I tried to change it every quarter and make the testimonial speak to a different aspect of, of my, my service areas or my, my, my skill sets. Um, so, you know, keep it short, make it simple. Um, don't make it, you know, always your chairperson. Try to make it a normal, a normal everyday member. Um, but sprinkle it around. Let, let your different departments come up with different ones. Um, I would love to see that be an organization-wide thing, you know, as part of a larger campaign. Um, isn't just, here's a, here's a little picture, an advertisement for our next convention. How about, you know, here's how we've changed someone's life. Here's what someone else, someone's telling you in their own words um, about how this organization helped, you know. Association whatever gave me my professional home period, you know, so-and-so undergraduate or PhD, you know, whatever. Um, I think there's probably, if you, if you really went and tried to harvest testimonials and, and gave your staff things to choose from, or just ones to rotate, um, I think that would be a really cool association-wide, subtle, subtle, um, you know, member engagement tactic. Yeah, I love that. And Look if at us, you we're just like coming up with real things. This is can so you cool. can you imagine? Yeah, exactly. So I love cool. that. I love that. It happens in every single episode. Every I know we're episode. we're like ideating as we speak. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I I love the I love the idea of like collecting more testimonials. And then if you are having difficulty collecting testimonials from members, that should be a warning sign as well. Meaning like maybe there's something wrong and people are not actually happy. So yeah. this is a great campaign, I guess. Yeah. And. Yeah. And just to add to that, like we also put our client stories on our pricing page of the app. So when people are like reviewing the pricing page, they're about to sign up, you know, you can do the same for your sign up page, maybe put yeah. some stories there. So at the at the point of like signing up, they know what it will be like to kind of like be a part of the community. Yeah. Well, and, you know, think about this as you're going through, you know, your convention prep or your mm -hmm. annual awards dinner preparations. I mean, take your, you know, take your iPhone, take your cell phone, and during that event, you know, go interview people. Wow. Whether you yeah. write it down, whether you just capture the audio, or whether they're will willing to do like a selfie with you, I can't, I can't uh, encourage enough the the DIY method of storytelling. It's super acceptable. I mean, I post selfies with my boards, I post selfies with my clients, and it creates a credibility, a sincerity. Um, these these human-driven and, and engagement and humanity efforts, they have to be authentic, which means that's good news for us because that means they don't have to cost a lot. Um, so, you know, walk the trade show floor at your next annual meeting and go interview people, go stand at the registration table at your, you know, your, your annual fly-in or your, your next summit or, or conference and interview people. What, you know, why are they a member? How has this organization changed their life? Why are they here at this event? 
This, this strategy could then also trickle down through all your products and programs. It's not just about membership. It can become the member's voice throughout all the things that you're offering and doing. So you mentioned earlier, like um, when we are building an online community, it's very important to kind of like get the members involved, like get them to volunteer, get them to take the lead. Now, how would you inspire them to do that when members are always busy? They have so much on their plate. Sure. Um, you know, it, it comes down to what's the intention of the, the online community. Mm. Um, you know, what are we asking of them? What are we expecting of the online community? And, um, you know, we have to remember we're competing against the internet. <laughs> we're competing yes. against LinkedIn. We're competing against every other social platform. Um, so make sure you give your online community a purpose. There has to be a why for the online community. Otherwise, you're going to lose to, uh, to, to all the other um, online competition. And uh, I don't know that you have to give ownership of it to, to any committee or task force or whatever. I get a little nervous about the members feeling like they own it. Um, but once you have a purpose, um, then figuring out a rotation of content, just like any other platform, it needs a content calendar. You need to know what you're talking about or what seeds, what conversations you're going to seed, you know, every week or every month or, or whatever it may be. Um, figure out your cadence and, and invite people. When you think about member apathy or no one showing up, did you ask them? Did you ask anybody? Um, and don't ask your same old, same olds. You know, don't, don't ask the, the people who are already in leadership. Go to your student chapters, go to your early members, go to the people who've been members for less than three years. Everyone likes to be invited. Everyone likes to be asked to do something. Even if you say no, or even if they say no, you get credit for, for the invitation and they feel like you care. They feel like you want them involved. Um, so I would, I would ask, I mean, you can randomly pull data. You can target a certain audience depending on the purpose of the online community, um, but you are going to have to do some, some work. You're going to have to architect uh, a content calendar. You're going to have to make your themes clear. You're going to have to um, be consistent in your moderation standards. Um, you never want to let online communities feel like they've been taken over or that they're not a safe space for, for all members. I've seen online communities backfire. And, mm. uh, and you, you really do need to do them correctly. Right. Now, on that note, um, who is the member engagement team overall? So in the past, like I have like sat in meetings with clients where the membership, like manager or the director is our champion at the organization, but then the director of finance joins the meeting as well. And then the oh director of finance goodness. is completely disconnected in the meeting, mm. no interest, nothing whatsoever. So who owns what? Who owns member engagement? Oh my goodness. How much time do we have left? Um, no, this is, this is a part of membership. It's kind of like customer service in general, when yeah. it's everyone's job, it's no one's job. Um, and if you have the luxury of having a membership department, which not every association does, you know, I think about the two or three person staff, um, or, uh, or a membership department. That's also the marketing department and also the events department and also the education department. Um, I, I love to see that. I love it when the, the chief staff executive, you know, when it starts at the top, I understand they're not going to have their hands in it um, at all times, but I think the, the tone has to be set from mm. the top. 
Um, and, and then it comes down to your, your structure, how large you are as a staff. I don't think there's any one answer, uh, to your question, um, because organizations are so unique and, and there's such a diversity of structure. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it comes down to, uh, I, I like the group who's trying to engage and renew and recruit to, to own this versus the group that's trying to sell registrations or sell advertising or, 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 um, you know, fill trade show booths. I, I like, I like there to be some kind of purity of purpose, um, in a membership department versus a marketing or business development department. Um, but it just depends. Not, not all associations have the luxury of, of that, that, that many staff or that type of, um, delegation of, of responsibility. So the, the, the answer here is have that conversation as a staff mm. before you engage a vendor, before you engage a consultant, before you even try to take this on internally, decide who, who's going to be the quarterback, who's going to own this. It's not to say that maybe owns not even the right word, maybe because you're going to be engaging multiple teams uh, you know, whether it's the information about things, whether it's the, the IT and the expense of things with the finance department, um, but who is going to be the leader of this initiative? Because you're, it's going to be a collaborative, a collaborative yeah. effort. And if it's not, it's not going to work. It's not going right. to work. This can't be done in a vacuum. This can't be done by one person. It can be led by one person um, with the leadership then holding you know, all involved accountable, but I, I don't know that there's a clear team lead of who that title is at every organization. Right. And I guess it's very important to kind of like listen to your frontline staff as well. The frontline staff are the, are the ones like who are speaking to members, working with members day to day. Oh, and yeah. like, right. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even ask the C-suite first. I'd talk to right. the person who answers the phone, like the receptionist or, uh, you know, the person who, who sees what the chat bot you know, what answer, what questions mm. get put in or what search, search text gets added, you know, put into the website. Um, frontline staff. Also, if you have chapters or components, um, I'd ask them about, about their interactions with membership. You know, they're often on the front lines. They often represent mm. the very front lines of member experience and member engagement. So um, be sure to involve them. Make sure you then have the solutions that you develop, you scale for, for everyone within your uh, your nonprofit network to, to benefit from. Don't leave the chapters out in the cold to do this by themselves. Work work together and uh, and help raise the water for all boats. Alrighty. Elisa, we're running out of time, so I'll start taking some audience questions that were submitted online. So this question is from Anna Loginova. So Anna is asking, we're um, we are a regulated professional industry. And then uh, if we are trying to engage with our audience, is it recommended to kind of like capitalize on the negative opinion of members about the regulators? Um, I think it depends on what, who has access to that community. Hmm. You know, if it's a private community, I would let your members say what needs to be said. Because if there aren't problems with the regulators, then they don't need you as an association. Exactly. You, you want, you need yeah. a boogeyman. You need a problem to solve. You need an emergency. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't want that to be uh, a text chain or a website that someone from the outside world could could Google or search or stumble upon in uh, in a web search. 
And I guess like we should kind of like take that information and like work with the regulators to kind of like solve the problem, be the middleman. Right. I mean, you as an association need to know what your members' challenges are, what they're afraid of, what's not working, what's hindering their their, um, success. And if it's those type of environments that you use to collect, if they're more honest and and off the cuff in those environments, they are in, let's say, a, a static survey, you know, take it how you can get it. But um, as a moderator of those type of environments, you know, this, this can't become about people, uh, individuals, this can't get personal. Um, you know, there are liabilities here um, as it relates to um, libel and slander that, you know, you as an organization are going to be held accountable for. But I think, too, about your reputation with those regulators um, I wouldn't want, you know, a, a staff member at a Senate committee, you know, Googling my association and that coming up as one of the top search returns. Um, so, you know, be smart and give them a safe opportunity. They're going to be much more honest and the community will be more valuable if they know it's a safe place too. All right. Next question is from Carolyn Liffer. Sorry, I'm butchering your last name, I think. Uh, Carolyn is asking, which membership engagement metrics should I be most focused on? Um, you know, it, it, uh, it depends on how you interact with your members. It depends on how you measure success. You may be an organization that does nothing but have a journal. And so, you know, journal downloads or subscriptions or, or articles submitted, you know, that may be how you truly measure success. Um, again, membership and recruitment, ret- retention and recruitment um, are always primary for me, but the other metrics have to come from your why and your what. Um, if, if your why is, is bringing people together for the largest trade show in your, in your industry, then okay, great. Let's use the registration. Let's use the attendance. You know, So it, there's not a clear answer for everyone. Um, I would say, keep it simple. Um, don't try, I build dashboards for for different organizations that don't have big fancy AMSs or or CRMs. Um, It doesn't have to be fancy. Um, Tie tie your KPIs to your strategic plan. Keep them in the context of your why and your what. Use the data available to you. Don't make data aggregation and engagement tracking a chore on its own. Use it as a tool to make informed decisions. Um, don't track too many things. You'll just drive yourselves crazy trying to find the information, um, especially if your platforms don't um, have don't intersect on the back end. Um, just keep it simple. Tie it to your why and your strategic plan. Um, and uh, and if no one's using the data that you're giving them, stop tracking it. Love that. The last question I'll take is from Cynthia Vagina. So Cynthia is asking. How do we stay relevant to these next generations who do not actually have the same joining behaviors or they don't even pursue, perceive the same things as being valuable? You know, Cynthia, I've heard the same thing. Um, you know, this generation doesn't believe in joining. They're not joiners. Um, and I, I, I defer to my, my hesitation, uh, earlier rejection of those generational stereotypes I think, I mean, how many people have have signed up for TikTok? How many people are Netflix subscribers? I think it's it's a it's a cop out to say that the future don't believe in membership. I think we've seen through the subscription, uh, the shift to subscriptions and people's willingness to be a part of online communities, whether social 
um, or, or otherwise tells us that where there's humanity, where there's value and where they feel welcome, they will go. So to me, it always comes down to value. Um, and, uh, and if you're pointing fingers at the people who won't join and trying to figure out what's wrong with them, you're really missing, you're missing the point. The mirror should be turned back on you and your organization as to what you're giving, what you're providing, your value proposition and, and your why. Wonderful. So we're really running out of time at this point. So, uh, Elisa, what would be your key takeaway for the audience today? Ooh, gosh, that's hard. We've been going strong here. Um, you know, in a world where technology is, uh, is increase, becoming an increasing, uh, I mean, it's, it's suffocating us, right? I mean, the, the mm -hmm. rate at which technology is, is increasing and, and innovating has never been faster. Um, and our, I would encourage you to embrace, embrace the human, embrace, embrace what, what AI can't be. And, and recognize that your members come to you to be with each other. The greatest value you can give them is, is allowing them to interact with and learn, learn from each other. Whether you're a professional society, whether you're a student organization, whether you're a trade association, um, you know, it, it's not about us. It's not about us, the staff. It's, it's not about the board. It's about, it's about the members and their evolving needs. Um, and just one last takeaway, since we chatted about it so much, um, don't forget to tell the story, the stories of impact, the stories of emotion, the stories of, of life change that, that has come from, um, your members and their experiences with your organization. Let your members tell their stories. That's what will motivate. Um, and I think increase not only the humanity, but your, your recruitment and retention. Wonderful. Elisa, how can people get in touch with you if they have more questions? Oh, sure. I know I've tried not to turn this into a, a sales pitch. I'm not good at that kind of stuff. Um, but you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Elisa Pratt. Uh, you can also visit brewerprattsolutions.com. Uh, and uh, I would love to, uh, to help any of you find uh, unique solutions to your challenges and to elevate the experience of, of both your members currently and your future members. Elisa, thank you so much for being with us today. It was a wonderful chat. It was. It was great. Thanks so much for having me. Happy spring, everyone. And uh, good luck to uh, Alabama in the tournament. Randy, I saw, your, I saw your chat. I know you play on Friday. Good luck. Um, and, uh, you know, put your, put your members first. Alrighty. That was the episode with Elisa Pratt. We learned so much from this episode and like my biggest takeaway from the episode today is to kind of like um, understand that members are longing for that human connection and then like if we don't give it to them then it's like an opportunity lost for your social membership. So if you have an opportunity to build an online member community so that members can connect with each other that is part of the humanity of member engagement and once we do that oftentimes we have to step away and then let the members take it from there. So this is my biggest takeaway today and one more thing I want to add oftentimes we learn a lot of ideas and tactics and everything in these webinars and events but nothing happens until you start taking action so any ideas that you can think of from today's episode that you can take action on I would strongly encourage you to start taking some action we wish you all the best with your membership journey and we will see you on the next episode bye for now